Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Jen Wagner. Jen is a music educator, pianist, and award-winning composer. She received a master's degree in choral conducting from Messiah College and a BA in music education from Bloomsburg University. She is the winner of the 2019 Making a Better World Through Choral Composition and Performance Contest. Jen currently holds the position of Middle Division General Music Teacher and Choral Director at Milton Hershey School in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Jen Wagner, thank you for joining me today on Movable Dough. Thanks for having me. All right, first things first. I'm sure the first question that people want to know when they find out you're from Hershey, Pennsylvania, and that you teach at a school named after Hershey, is how much does chocolate rule your life in Hershey? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I can leave work on a Thursday and go one way and it smells like peanuts from the Reese's factory and go the other way and it smells like chocolate. So it's pretty delightful. <laughs> the Hershey that... kiss, um, the Hershey kisses on the street lights, you know, they, they're there every day, whether we like it or not. And they are just, it reminds you that you are in the sweetest place on earth. Yeah. Does it, does it come up frequently? Are you often offered Hershey's kisses and things like that? <laughs> Um, not as often as you think, no. <laughs> not as much as I would like to hope. <laughs> right. Actually, when if funny enough, we when we uh, took a group of kids to the White House a few years ago and sang for President Obama and First Lady Michelle, and um, the gift that they gave the kids, other than the cookies that were adorably shaped like their dogs, was Hershey Kisses. And the kids couldn't believe it. They were like, we came to Washington DC in the White House and we got Hershey Kisses. So that was kind of fun. I actually still have mine because it has the Obama presidential seal on it. So oh, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. All right. So let's go back to the beginning of your career. How did you get started in music? Um, so my parents had a role in our house. Uh, we had to play an instrument for um, the extent of our education. And we had to start with piano. Neither of my parents were, um, like they don't really play instruments. My dad was a percussionist. My mom played um, clarinet when she was younger, but nothing past introductory middle school kind of things. Um, but she always wanted her kids to be able to um, have music in their life. So we had to start piano lessons, all three of us kids, and we had to take it for two years. And if we were going to quit piano, we had to take something else up. Um, all three of us continued piano through high school. I'm the one that went to college uh, for music education. Uh, my siblings were still involved in music different ways, um, but they do it more um, for fun and just, just for their own enjoyment. Um, whereas I kind of went the other way and took it on as a career. Yeah. Uh so did you join any ensembles or anything when you were in high school or was it? Yeah, so, when I, so I started with piano lessons when I was seven um, and right about third grade, I auditioned for uh, the Susquehanna Valley Chorale, which is based in Lewisburg and Sealands Grove, um, Pennsylvania. 
And it was a group of children ages third through eighth grade, I think at the time, it may have even been fourth grade, um, but I was accepted into that group and I had sung through that all the way through high school. And by the time we got to the high school chamber ensemble, um, I had already picked up the violin, um, I became a percussionist, and then I decided I was gonna be a music education major. So I you know, learned to play the trumpet and the viola and the cello and whatever I could get my hands on, a penny whistle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always um, invested in, in music education for myself. Um, I was in all the ensembles in school. I played the piano in the jazz band. I even picked up an electric guitar and learned a few chords and played a couple songs with an electric guitar. That was a fun little adventure. I was terrible at it, but <laughs> I can say I did it. So I can hang my hat up on that one. Um, but I, I loved playing my violin. I still have, I just had it out yesterday. I'm writing a new piece. Um, I needed to figure out some bowings, you know, so. Um, violence will hate me when I tell them that they're in fifth position for a lot of it, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was, I was always involved in ensembles. And then what, after school, I, uh, decided that I was just going to go to college for music performance, eventually switched to music ed and, you know, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> sure. What, what made you switch from performance to music ed? Um, you know, I think it was a uh, job security. Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that I was going to have um, health insurance. <laughs> I had a few different mentors in my life and um, both of them were educators. Um, Lindbergh was my piano teacher growing up and she was the middle school teacher and another woman, Kay, uh, Dr. Kay Payne from Bucknell University was the opera coach. And she, um, she had talked to me about, I had gone to her house for dinner a lot of the times and she would give me uh, it was so funny. She would always cook spaghetti and olives, black olives, hmm. olive oil, I think maybe was involved, maybe some Parmesan cheese. It was lovely, but she always spoke so intelligently. And those were the conversations that I remembered the most. And she said to me, Jenny, get your music education degree because you'll have insurance. You can always perform, <laughs> but that <laughs> health insurance is going to be key. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. So I switched over and, um, you know, music education it just seemed right. And she's right. I've always been able to perform and I've always been able to pursue my, my composing passion. And, um, it was a good decision. It was a hard one, but yeah. it was a good decision for me. So what do you think your favorite thing is about being an educator? The kids. I love the kids, you know, being able to see their faces when you are creating music with them, you surprise them. And we, uh, my favorite moment I was singing, um, one of, one of the songs that I remember, I think maybe it was um, in December. It's a very simple SAB piece. I don't even remember who it's by, but the kids sang it. And then we sang it a cappella. I took them out of the choir room. We went up to this grand entrance that we have in our building and it's, you know, the great acoustics mm -hmm. and they sang it a cappella. And at the end, when I cut them off, you know, the sound carried and their eyes just lit up and looked at me like, did we just do that? You know, <laughs> and those moments are the ones where you think, you know, this is why I do this. I'm giving this gift back to other people so that they can experience the joy that I've experienced with music and through music. Yeah. Now, I know you didn't start writing for choirs and other ensembles until rather recently. Uh, earlier in your career, you wrote and recorded a solo piano album. So could you tell us about that album? Sure. Um, 
So when I was very small, we got a piano for my sister for her birthday. And I used to go over and kind of tinker on the keys before I even took lessons. And my ear was very good. And so I started remembering what I was playing. And the first song I wrote was called, I ended up calling it Mommy's Memories. And it was somewhere between the age range of five and seven that I wrote this, this piece called Mommy's Memories. And it's on the album. Um, it's very simple. But after that, it just kind of evolved. And I remember distinctly, um, it's called Midnight Muse. The whole album's called Midnight Muse because most of the music was written in the middle of the night. Oh. I would wake up um, with a song in my head and we would just run to the downstairs piano and would start playing. And I can remember my dad, Jennifer, what are you doing up in the middle of the night? And my mom would say, Robert, go to bed, she's writing, you know? <laughs> and eventually, you know, they understood what I was doing and I just couldn't help myself. I, I had to go get the music out of my head or else I wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, a lot of it was emotionally based. Uh, the song Mariah, was actually written the night um, that Mariah Quant was killed in a car accident. Mm. Uh, she was a girl I went to high school with. I was a freshman, she was a senior. It was supposed to be her graduation night. It was terrible. Um, but I just could not sleep that night. And I woke up in the middle of the night, went to the piano, was sobbing and, and wrote Mariah. And um, so, I mean, you can tell I just, I get very emotional about yeah. my music. And, and that moment was just, the music was there for me when I needed, um, when I needed to be able to get these emotions out. And for me growing up, piano was the way that I did that. I just ran to the piano with my feelings and out came these songs. Yeah. So what, what moved you into writing for choirs? Um, you know, it was another, it just popped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> my first one, believe it or not, is my biggest one. It's La Crimosa. And I loved the text. I fell in love with the text after just kind of looking through, looking for something to write. And when I saw the text, the song just kind of happened. And then it, it slowly evolved. So I start writing and little scribbles here and there. And so I start putting it to the computer and hearing it back. And, you know, a month later, a little bit more would come along and I would just plug it in. And it eventually just kind of built into this, this piece of music that I'm very proud of. Um, I do feel that at times, it, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but it was like an out of body experience where all of a sudden I'd be so focused um, that I would just pour the music out onto the computer. I wasn't even near a piano during this, uh, the last section, the PA Yezu and Requiem part. I wasn't even near a piano. It just poured into the computer, just note after note after note until I just sat back and looked at it and went, okay, that was cool, you know? <laughs> and to go back and listen to it and you can hear one of the tenor lines actually crosses, or I'm sorry, one of the baritone line crosses over the tenor and it's like rising up to heaven as if they were ascending. And, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those pieces where I feel like it was a little bit out of my control that maybe it was something that was gifted to me to put into mm -hmm. notation. That's cool. So thinking back on when you started writing music or even now, uh, were there other composers that you were looking to for inspiration? Sure. So when I was in grade school, my mom listened to Yanni. You remember Yanni? Oh yeah. <laughs> Greek Yanni is lovely. And I was, I was so inspired by his new sound. It was new sound to me at the time. Um, 
I used to try to mimic his sounds when I was writing uh, none, none of my piano pieces, of course, but but some of the playful things that I, there was one, I think I called it changes in the mirror. It's still in a notebook and pencil. We won't bring that one out, but um, <laughs> that kind of new age sound I had started playing with. Cause I just, I loved that uniqueness that he brought to music. Uh, another one was Jim Brickman, that easy listening kind of sound. Um, the one five one passes in the left hand just always kind of soothed me and felt so calm. Um, and Ray Lynch. I loved Ray Lynch. Oh, yeah. My piano teacher, Lindbergh, she introduced me to Ray Lynch when I was in middle school. And I yeah, I love his, his Deep Breakfast album. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. I actually just shared a piece uh, with my students the other day because I just, I loved that celestial soda pop. Oh, one. yeah. <laughs> During a listening dun, 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 exercise. Yeah. Great. <laughs> it's catchy. <laughs> So you mentioned to me in a, a message earlier that you're working on a project involving uh, some sort of database for living composers. Could you yes. tell me about this project as well? Sure. So um, I was asked to present at the District 7 PMEA online virtual sessions. And my original thought was to talk about creating a virtual choir and the things that they were needed. And I brought in John Parker from Easy Listening or EasyChoirMusic.com and um, but from there, it kind of evolved because I reached out to um, I reached out to other composers to see if they would also be interested in giving permission for local educators to perform their music via social media uh, without having to pay additional fees when their budget's already so small. I mean, I worked in a public school. I know you know, the tight lines of the budget for mm -hmm. music educators. And I just thought this is a way I can help if I gift them uh, the, the rights to basically uh, perform however they need to be able to perform these days. You know, it's so yeah. difficult and it's, it's not like they have the option to be able to perform in person. So it really limits them and the success for their kids and to be able to create that experience for them. Um, you know, this was the way that I could kind of give back. So I, I'd asked some of the other composers that had gotten back to me who were self-published and say, how do you feel about this? Would you be willing to do this? And all of them were like, oh yeah, this would be great. And then when I asked them about connecting with teachers and their students to create an even more, um, a deeper experience with the composers and for the kids, you know, they were all, all about it. And I think it's going to be very valuable, um, especially when students don't have the opportunity right now to be on a stage uh, like they normally would to be able to create some sort of impact that would be a lasting experience for them. So how do you think that your work as a music educator shapes the way that you approach composing? That is a really challenging question. I sometimes think that it doesn't cross. Uh, I'm, I, I teach middle division choir and a lot of the times when I start writing, I'll start out a project thinking, oh yes, this will be three parts so that my students can do this successfully. But then other parts kind of find their way into my ear and it evolves and becomes a much more difficult piece. What I do tend to do is I try to bring it back so that it can be approached by a middle division or an elementary choir. Mm -hmm. um, you'll notice a lot of my pieces are available in different voicings. Yeah. And that is generally because I want my kids to be able to sing and perform the pieces that I'm writing as well. And it also gives us the opportunity to make virtual things and not have to worry about copyright issues if I'm opening a copyright. 
Sure. You know, speaking of virtual things, what has been the biggest change in your life since this pandemic began? I think the biggest change in my life has been finding new ways to deal with different emotions because my my go-to when I'm feeling upset or anxious is music. Um, I think it, it's been it's been uniquely different in uh, this is really hard, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic has been really difficult. I think the pandemic has been really difficult for everybody. Um, as far as my life goes, my personal life, I have personally had a lot of anxiety due to the pandemic. And I have used music to be able to express that anxiety and it actually, and it calms me. Um, so I think on the musical side of that, I've been able to write more. Um, I think on other things, I've also been given the gift of time. I've been able to have the time with my family and the time with my kids that we wouldn't normally have. And it's because of the pandemic. So I guess I can say that I'm blessed that I was able to work from home in the spring to be able to be home with my children and know that they were safe with us. But I also think it's been very difficult as a music educator to be able to reach kids musically. The idea that singing is, a, you know, they call it super spreader is, um, is sad. There's, there's really no, I mean, you can't even say that you're disappointed. I mean, we are disappointed, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's just, it makes you sad. So to be able to use that time, um, what I've decided to do is to write music during this time because choral music has stood the test of time for centuries and it will come back. And when it does come back, I'll be able to have more pieces to be able to present out to the world and to share music again. <laughs> That's right. We'll have a, a plethora of new music yeah, just waiting to be are, performed. I really think there are a lot of composers using this time wisely. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've been talking today about something that you're really good at, music. So the question is, what is something that you're not very good at? Oh, goodness. Um, I can't ski. Oh. <laughs> at all. I, I tried once. I can cross-country ski. Um, I put skis on once in someone's front yard. I mean, it was a flat front yard. There was no reason why it couldn't have just, you know, but I went right down into the snow, <laughs> face first, skis in the air, stuck. Um, and my, I think I was maybe 12. You know, the, the father had to come out and pluck me out of the snow. So I never put skis on again. <laughs> I'm sort of athletic. I mean, I think I'm athletic. My husband will will tease me about that, but um, skiing is definitely not something I ever need to try. Ever. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will dive into some of Jen's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Jen Wagner. So let's begin today with your setting of In the Bleak Midwinter for essay to be choir, cello, and piano. So I really liked the arc to this piece. About two-thirds of the way through, the chorus comes to sort of a climax with everyone on the sustained open vowels, almost as if words failed them in their emotions at that moment. So can you tell us what you were thinking as you wrote this arrangement? Um, this was this was one of those ones. So In the Bleak Midwinter is my absolute favorite hymn from childhood. I was uh, I grew up Episcopalian, St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in little old Lewisburg, and we always sung the traditional hymns at Christmas. And this one just, it was just always my favorite. Um, 
when I decided to write it, it was actually a snow day. I was home from school and it just started to evolve. And you'll notice the first verse where it's snow on snow on snow on snow on. Mm -hmm. I was looking out the window watching the snow. It's kind of a romantic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it just sort of came. And then it just, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. The songs, they just, they're just in there. And it, it takes me, I have to move quickly to get it on paper fast enough before they're gone, you know? And I tease my husband, I say, you know, it's like a loop. It just doesn't stop until it's on the paper. There's some pieces they just, they just need to be finished so I can rest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at that, this one was all about the text. It was all about the text. And you, you know, there's the, the text about the arch, the angels, and you can hear the angels hovering over the top. Um, and when Mary kisses her baby, it's such a, it's a gentle moment. Um, and it, it's just so emotional when I'm in the midst of writing it. It's, it's really hard to explain. Um, but you know, you almost, you feel that sense. And at the same time, my baby was an infant also. So I could feel that, that love that she must have had for him. Um, you know, so I think, I think that's, kind of the essence of it is just being in the song while you're creating it. It just kind of envelopes my entire self, my entire being. And my husband's really wonderful about just letting me be and taking the kids so that I can just be in that space with that yeah. piece until I can step away from it. <laughs> but that was when I wrote straight through. I mean, it was like nonstop for a couple of days and then it was just done. So I don't know if it was intentional, but I can, I can hear, especially at the beginning of the piece, some of the uh, easy listening music influence. Um, yeah, that that was one of the first things that I noticed as I was listening. Like this, this has sort of a, this poppy, easy listening feel. It didn't stay like that through the entire piece, but I, I definitely heard that at the beginning. Yeah, and I think it kind of shows how the song itself evolved in my brain too. You know, it started out very simple and small, and and that very traditional sound of in the bleak midwinter. Um, the, the baritone solo at the beginning actually was inspired to me the year that, well, because of the year that we sang at the White House, there was a young man named Juan and he sang the solo to that piece. And I had the rest of the choir just kind of ooh in the background. It was just a straightforward, um, you know, two part kind of thing. We had to throw a lot of music together very quickly, but to change it up, I let him have the solo and the rest of the choir just kind of oohed underneath. And in that moment, I thought, when I write this piece, there's got to be a baritone solo somewhere. And so the baritone kind of comes in and out um, throughout the whole piece. In this case, it was my brother singing uh, in the videos. He reluctantly agreed <laughs> to do that for me. Well, for all baritones out there, I thank you for writing baritone solos. You're very welcome. <laughs> I think it's, it's a gorgeous voice part. All right. Well, let's take a moment and we will listen to In the Bleak Midwinter, which is now being published by GIA Publications.
All right, next, let's look at your setting of the text of In Flanders Fields. There are some phenomenal settings of this text from John McRae that he wrote during World War I. And I sometimes think a composer needs a lot of courage to approach such a famous influential text. So I'm curious, what was in your mind as you sat down to work on this piece? Um, you know, I can't even remember when I started writing this one. I feel like it was, oh, it was during quarantine actually. Um, I'd always wanted to. I loved the text myself, um, and I knew of a couple of arrangements. Um, they weren't really in my ear. I just kind of knew that they existed, and I, I stay away from listening to pieces that I think I may want to set the text to because mm -hmm. I don't want to uh, rewrite it even accidentally. Because um, you know that happens once it's in your ears, kind of there. But um, I, my grandfather is actually a veteran, and so I wanted to do something. You know, I know that this one was based off World War One, and I know why John McRae wrote the text um, in memory of his his friends in the fallen um, from the war in Belgium, uh, the battle in Belgium, excuse me. But I, I wanted to I wanted to recreate it so that it could be you know just reintroduced in a different way. Um, it started out with with the drums, quite honestly, and, and incorporating taps into it. Um, I just felt would be an emotional piece that it was just begging for. Um, so I'm not sure why the timing with quarantine and maybe it was just, I just felt like it needed to be done. Um, the Black Lives Matter was all happening around the same time when George Floyd was murdered. And I think, you know, part of that I also did the We Are the Children um, virtual choir about that same time when I was writing this. And I saw the kind of the, the war between, um, you know, our, our armed forces and our police officers versus, um, it, it just seemed like it was one against the other. And I felt like it doesn't really have to be that way. And I know there's good people out there that are always trying to do the right thing on any side that you may feel you're connected to. And I just wanted to do something sort of in honor of, of those good people. Um, so that kind of motivated me to keep working on it and to get it done. And I wanted to make sure that I got it done over the summer and, and I did. Um, and then when I finally finished it, I got several men to that volunteered to be a part of the project. Uh, took my hand at mixing audio and it's the best that I could do. <laughs> but, you know, um, David Knott actually is, is my colleague at school and he teaches the middle division band and he um, wrote the percussion part to it and pulled from different traditional rudiments uh, that would have been a part of the different eras of, of wars across the world and kind of compiled them together uh, where we saw fit with the music. And so, um, it was really supposed to be an all-encompassing project. You know, the text is from one thing, the taps is from another, and then the percussion parts are from another. Um, so it would be a compilation of history, really. Um, Giff Howarth was a percussionist that did the recording for me for In Flanders Fields. He was wonderful. He's a Bloomsburg University professor. Uh, he was my professor when I went there. And he's also a signature artist for Vic Firth. And I emailed him the, the sheet music for this. And I, I said, you know, 
is there any way you might be able to record this for me? I don't play snare um, and I need a decent recording. And I know that there are production guys at Bloomsburg. And he was so kind and got back to me within a day, two different recordings <laughs> um, for me to be able to use in the mix. It was, it was so gracious of him. So really appreciate his work. So let's take a moment and we'll listen to In Flanders Fields.
Our third piece today is your lacrimosa, which you uh, alluded to earlier. So a lacrimosa is usually part of the Roman Catholic Requiem Mass. So did you write this as part of a larger work or was this a standalone piece? No, it was a standalone piece. Were you writing it for any particular event or just something that came to your head? It just sort of came. You know, I, I tend to have a, I have a notebook and I keep different Latin text in it that I just gravitated toward uh, for whatever reason. And um, this was one of them. PAAs is another. I, I've wanted to do a Kyrie for a long time. Um, but this, uh, this text I've had in there for a few years. And at the time when I wrote it in, I didn't really know. I just liked the words and I liked the meaning behind it. And, you know, it was 2017, I think, when I started to write it, even maybe 2016, it all of a sudden just came. The lacrimosa text, just that word, just started. And from there, I just ran, got a pencil, my, my music, and just started hashing it in. And then it just kind of evolved from there, like they all seem to do. Um, and then once I started getting through the first section of it, it really, really started to take shape. And that's when I really kind of dove into it and started really focusing on that one. Um, and, and I had said before, this was really my first, my first experience with writing um, for full choir. And of course it started out just thinking it would be a four part. Well, then of course it went all to VC and I just, you know, the harmony is being so tight and aligned with the feeling of the text. And you can hear um, when the text comes up with lacrimosa, I, I feel like it, it sounds like someone's crying. It's supposed to, to sound like the tears falling. Mm -hmm. And when the Yudikandus comes in, it's supposed to feel very, very tense and, and the tension is there. And as the, as the choir gets louder, um, you know, it feels like judgment day. Um, so when this was, I had said before, yeah, this is when it doesn't even really feel like it's mine. It feels like it came, you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of came down into me and, and threw the notes on the paper for me. And it just, I just sat back and went, wow, that is, that is really something. I got to get a choir to sing this, <laughs> um, you know, but I am, a, I'm especially proud of this one, um, especially the ending. There's a part where the tenors come in. Um, and they say, Donais Requiem first. And then the rest of it kind of comes along with it. And it's that moment I feel like is, is where the tension just kind of releases. And, um, you know, the merciful Lord does grant them rest, you know, and it just settles there into this calmer feeling at the end of all this tension and this growth it's very calming at the end. I just, yeah, I can, I can listen to that one all day. It's definitely my favorite so far. <laughs> and there's something about acapella voices. And, you know, if you're a choral person and you've sung in an acapella choir and you've had that moment of, oh my goodness, when you're done and the sound just keeps going, there's something inside of you that's just, just is overwhelming. And that's kind of how this piece is for me. It's overwhelming when I hear it. It's over, it was overwhelming while I was writing it. It just, yeah, it was overwhelming, I think is the best way that I can describe it. But it was a really good, overwhelming feeling. All right. Well, let's sit back and let's listen to Lacrimosa. 
Lastly today, let's talk about We Are the Children. So I know this was used for a virtual choir performance in 2020. So did you begin writing this before the pandemic or is it specifically for this time that we are in? Yeah, so when I first started writing, I had been um, just writing for myself and just thought, well, I'll just give this whole composer thing a try. I always enjoyed writing and uh, it's always been a passion of mine. Um, and then I saw I was a member of the Choral Composer Facebook page and um, I noticed that there was a competition going on. I thought, well, that would be fun. Maybe I could do that. And normally I don't dive into something like that. That's so, um, you know, it, it tells you what it needs. My music comes from a place where it kind of takes over me and then I kind of follow the music. Um, this was the other way around. This was, okay, music, let, let's happen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let, let's create. And I, I had to, um, you know, I had to come up with it and sit and think, well, what am I going to write? Well, what's the melody going to be without any words? Um, so the text is mine also. But when you looked at the theme and the guidance, it was about um, creating a world for children, um, you know, a better one than what we have now. You know, what? how can you make the world a better place in the eyes of a child is kind of the way that I took it. And you know, so I, I started to just play a melody on the piano, just kind of messing with a couple notes, looking for different intervals and type of theme, if you will. And um, the da 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 da, and then the text just happened. It was like, oh, okay, all right. So I wrote that down, and then da 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 da, okay, that makes sense. And with the text all at the same time. So it's again like the song just sort of started to create itself. And I was just the pencil behind it. How would you sum up the meaning of this piece? Um, can you can you say that again? Sorry. How would you sum up the meaning of this piece? Um, the meaning of this piece, you know, when I was writing it, and it was it was January two thousand nineteen, I think. When I started to think about the text, you know, the, the four, you know, the hope, the love, the peace, the compassion, I thought, you know, this is what every human being deserves. Um, and if we can see it through the innocence of a child singing, you know, there's nothing much more innocent than a child singing. I mean, you stop and you go, oh, sweetheart, that was so cute. If it's twinkle, twinkle, little star, if it's the itsy bitsy spider, it doesn't matter. It's adorable and you love it. And there's something just endearing about a child singing. And so when I was writing it, I thought, you know, it, we have to, we have this one message that we can share and people are going to listen because it's the children of the world. The children of the world are begging us for love. They are begging us to be hopeful. They are begging us to be peaceful adults. They are begging for compassion. And there are so many children around the world that, that, that don't have these things that need us as adults to start to listen. And I think that was the most impactful thing about it. You know, it was the strength and numbers of children just singing about the needs around the world. And yeah. there is actually a tribute to Michael Jackson in there. If you listen very closely, there is a rhythm I stuck in there. So if someone can can email me the, the moment, <laughs> maybe I'll give them the <laughs> All right. Well, let's that happened organically, but I was like, oh. <laughs> Let's listen together and see if we can find the hidden moment in, <laughs> in this uh, We Are the Children. 
right. So Jen, what are you working on now? So I'm actually simultaneously working on a few things. So I have I have one um, that is going to be set for a children's group. And I think it's going to start out unison, um, maybe two part with like an overarching awe moment. Um, very simple. You know, it's it's going to be geared more for, okay, kids, the pandemic is over. Let's get back at the swing of things. Let's start singing unison again. And um, so I'm not going to give away the text on that one, but it is a very popular text for children. So I think adults at least will have read the book a couple times to a child. Um, another one I'm working on, um, I just wrapped up Luke's, which is a women's piece. Um, it has not been premiered yet. I've sent it out to a local college here and they were going to do a read through for me so I could hear a live um, ensemble sing it. So I'm looking forward to that. And another one that I'm working on, actually two more I'm working on. There's a men's choir um, piece that I'm working on. And oh my goodness, the name just left my brain. Oh, Robert Burns, Red, Red Rose, very mm. popular Scottish text. Um, I'm writing that for a men's ensemble and also a different arrangement of the same text for full SATB choir hoping that one will be more of an acapella feel uh, with a violin involved. And the other one will have like a piano accompaniment for groups that maybe aren't a strong singing acapella. And the bigger project that has taken over my brain since the Capitol riot is a full orchestral piece because that's what happens to my brain when something crazy happens in our country, the music takes over. Um, it's called Unrest. And I am working through the harp part right now. And once that is finished, it will be wrapped up and ready to go in a neat little bow. Um, but that one has been really intense, I will say, on, on myself. Uh, I told you, you know, sometimes the songwriting is very overwhelming to me. This one was not over overwhelming, but it was very emotional. Um, it has kept me up at nights. It is one of those ones where it just, it goes in a loop. It's in six, eight anyway. So it loops anyhow, you know, <laughs> um, but it is, uh, it's emotional and it is, it's, it's almost ready. And I'm really looking forward to hearing that one and finding um, an orchestra that would be willing to put that one out for me. Well, I look forward to it. So if our listeners want to learn more about you, what is your website? www.jenwagnermusic.com. All right. And are you out there on social media as well? Absolutely. I am on Twitter. I am on Instagram. My daughter convinced me to try TikTok. I am <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> uh, I think, oh, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel. I'm a little bit of everywhere. I think if you just Google Jen Wagner Music, it all pops up. All Very right. easy to find. And for you listeners, remember that you can now show your support for Movable Dough by getting the Movable Dough logo on a t-shirt, a hoodie, a mug, a mask, or just about anything else you'd like to order. I have a link on my website, sdcompose.com slash movable dough, or visit tpublic.com slash user slash sdcompose. <laughs> well, Jen, it has been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough. Thank you. My guest today was composer Jen Wagner. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. To hear previous episodes, visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. If you would like to continue this conversation or share your favorite music by Jen Wagner, join us on our Facebook group, Movable Dough Listeners, and follow us on Instagram at Movable Dough Podcast. 
If you have a recommendation for a future guest, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. 